Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast with my special guest, the Shalf Dressed Man, Matt Shalf. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Unfortunately, I just watched one of my daughters lose a basketball game, a tight one at the end, but I'm ready to talk football. Always, always. I uh, well, I'm I'm ready to talk girls' basketball. Um, who, who choked? Uh, it was 29-29. The other team got a basket at the end. We turned the ball over a couple of times, and honestly, my daughter played one of her worst games of the year. So I was not sad to not see it go to overtime. How old is your daughter? She just turned 13 over the weekend. Uh, how tall is she? Tall enough that she should be a little better at basketball. <laughs> Okay. Um, on that note, um, Matt won't be sharing this with his daughter. All right. First team, we're going to do the AFC North. And the first team is your possible Super Bowl champion, Cincinnati Bungles. I mean, Bengals. You can't call them the Bungles anymore, Matt. Right. It's an exciting time to be talking Bengals. The last time they were in the Super Bowl, I actually lived in Cincinnati. I was uh, about to turn nine years old. 1988. Yep. Yeah, January 89 at the end of the 88 season. And their big defensive tackle blew out his knee in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I was shocked that the uh, the Niners didn't make it to the Super Bowl, considering the Bengals' other two appearances – in 1981 and 1988, both had them losing uh, very close games to the Niners. Hello, Jose. Jose's back for one more. All right, so let's get in here. Let's look at the Bengals. Joe Burrow had a great year, 70% completion percentage, 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. My whole question here uh, is obviously everyone is is – Excited about Mixon, excited about Jamar Chase, excited about T. Higgins. But when we go over here and look at ADP, Joe Burrow is now going off the board as the fourth quarterback in the fourth round of 12-24. Yeah, end of the fourth round. Joe Mixon is going as running back eight uh, right at the end of the first round. Uh, wide receiver Jamar Chase is going first round, and T. Higgins is going in the third round. I think that obviously there's room for them to be better than they were this year. They were run heavy early in the year. They turned it up in the second part of the year, Matt. But those are some expensive ADPs. And I would have to guess at least one or two of those guys is going to disappoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, recency bias is so strong. And and right now, it's never going to be stronger than it is right now for the Bengals. Joe Burrow, I think, is the easiest fade among those guys at QB4. I mean, he could run more going forward than he has to this point, and that would help. But Otherwise, there's nothing separating him from other quarterbacks that are, you know, a a few spots behind. And part of his allure this year was a six and a half percent touchdown rate, third highest in the league. We only had six players reach six percent. That's usually what we have. So can Joe Burrow stay in that range? Sure. Is he likely to? No. Russell Wilson is really the only guy that we've seen stay in that kind of range of touchdown rate year over year. So, you know, even if you lose just a few tenths of a percent off of that, you're falling down the QB ranks a little bit. So I'm going to be fading Joe Burrow at that price. Now, I'm with you, too, on the other guys. I think they're going to be 
priced up a little high for what they're really worth. Yep. So let's look at Joe Mixon. He had 292 carries. So if you look at 292 carries, that is a career high. Um, He also got uh, 48 targets, which is the second most in his career. 42 receptions, second most in his career. I mean, I don't have trouble with Mixon at the end of the first round, but I also don't have trouble not taking him Pretty much everything had to go right for Joe Mixon to pay off his ADP last year. And, you know, in general, I don't like when there's two first-round picks on the same team. And and I think the dirty little secret, Matt, is that, you know, while Taylor definitely opened up the offense a little bit toward the second half of the year, he's not exactly a freewheeling type of guy. Uh, if the team continues to improve and they have some games where they're winning big, I, I don't see him as a put the pedal to the metal guy. Yeah, so I think that Joe Mixon's appropriately priced at RB8, but you love the workhorse carries, and that's why I think he's appropriately priced. But it's worth noting that he didn't get like workhorse-level receiving you still, even with just Samaje Ryan as the other guy there 27th among running backs in targets, despite finishing third in the entire league in carries. So not getting as much of the receiving work as he should based on the rest of his role. And he got pretty fortunate in touchdowns, 4.8% of his touches this year, Joe Mixon scored on every other year for him has been 2.9, 2.6, 3.2, 1.9. So we're probably going to see fewer touchdowns from Mixon, even if the Bengals stay good. And I think we all think that they'll stay good going forward. So ultimately I think Mixon's fine where he's going, but there's a chance that, you know, the touchdown that he has bad touchdown luck. There's a chance that he doesn't get more receptions. There's always the chance of injury. So, you know, there are, there are some things to, I guess, be aware of as you're weighing him against other running backs, just in case he climbs from where he is currently. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that the, uh, just looking at these ADPs, I, the one thing I will tell you is that I am inclined not to stack the Bengals if that's the case. I mean, yes, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow together crushed me in the final week of the FFPC tournament. It cost me, you know, a chance at $100,000. I, you know, I just feel like when, you know, when you're paying a first and a third or a first and a fourth, what I'm more likely to do is to pick one of them in each lineup that I have them in, be about even weight on on three of the four with Mixon uh, Burrow being the guy that I'm, you know, just uh, just less likely to draft at his ADP. Um, I, and that's not anything against Joe Burrow. I don't draft too many uh, too many running backs in the fourth round. You know, building that team as if Joe Mixon isn't going to be the guy who disappoints. Building a team where Jamar Chase isn't the guy who disappoints. Building a team where T. Higgins isn't the guy who disappoints. I don't think you get crushed by any of them unless you have injuries. And and so staying close to even and betting on each one individually, just looking at this um, seems like the strategy that I'm most likely to have your thoughts on that. I agree. I mean, like I said, Joe Burrow is the one that I'm fading because he has to absolutely smash from his spot 
to make you regret not taking him in round four. I think he probably comes down a little bit once we get all the rookies in and we tend to see quarterbacks slide down the board some once there are more comfy picks we can make early. But uh, if he's anywhere near that range among quarterbacks, I don't like him. I do think, you know, I, I said Mixon is appropriately priced. I'm okay with where Jamar Chase is. He's probably not going to be quite as high in my personal rankings, but not all that different either after the season he just had. And then T Higgins, you know, you want to say if, if Jamar Chase is such a star, is there really room for T Higgins? There was this year. I mean, if we just look at per game averages, T Higgins edged Jamar Chase in targets per game. He edged him in receptions per game. He was about 10 yards away from him per game. So they were similar producers with a gap in touchdowns. Jamar Chase was the bigger play guy. So there's a chance that those guys are closer together. I'm probably a little bit more likely to take Higgins than I am Chase this year, but I'm with you. I'm just not going to go overweight on Bengals, and I'm certainly not going to be stacking Burrow with a receiver if I have to pay you know, first five-round prices to get that pair of players because I, I just don't think that they're going to shoot the moon the way that they need to to make that payoff. Yeah, I mean, just quickly, Higgins had a 13% advance rate where 17 is average. And that was at a 6180p. Chase had a 19%. So even at the prices we were paying for them last year, they didn't they didn't crush ADP. Now, again, you know, the reason I don't mind Jamar Chase as much is because he just puts up huge weeks, right? I mean, he's got that potential to put up a three touchdown week. Mm -hmm. But um again, you know, that's where I use win rates to kind of, you know, I'll look at win rate, what they had last year. I'll look at, well, how much better can they be than last year? And then I'll look at their new ADP. And I just don't feel like I'm missing much if I if I don't chase them. For once, I gotcha. made the, the joke without intending. <laughs> um, so that's my thoughts. Uh, so Tyler Boyd is, you know, 2.8 million in uh, cap to get out of it. I don't see them wanting to get out of it. Chase, uh, they're not going to. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, they've got plenty of money mm -hmm. um, still. So that there's room for them to improve that offensive line. And let's look at their free agents real fast. I think CJ Uzama and Riley Reef are the two biggest. Yeah, I just saw that. At wide receiver, nobody, uh, Uzoma. I mean, I think he's more likely, you know, again, they've got the money. I don't see why he wouldn't end up back in Cincinnati. So let's look at targets. You know, Jamar Chase had 128 in 17 games, 110 in 14 games. So that was pretty even. 48 for Joe Mixon. You know, it's just hard to envision both of them increasing enough to where, you know, one of them ends up crushing without an injury. Yeah, and the Bengals did pick up their pass rate for a little bit, but then they dipped once again. They ended up finishing the year 13th in neutral pass rate, so it's not like they went super pass avenue. I say neutral, you know, that that's from rbsdm.com, and as far as I know from the math, I don't get deep into the weeds on it, but as far as I know, it takes out um, situation just to – measure how often they're passing when they don't need to, when they're not trailing. So the team with Jamar Chase, with T Higgins, with Joe Burrow was just 13th in pass rate neutral situations. You would think that that offense would want to be a little bit higher than that. Maybe we get that picking up a little bit in, you know, an extra season past Joe Burrow's knee injury, but 
I don't know that we can assume that heading into it. You mentioned Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow knocking you out of the best ball tourney. What's your feeling on that format where you get through the regular season and then it's one and done style through the playoffs? I kind of find it exciting. I also think it's flawed, right? And I think that's where you're going with the question. You know, the FBGs, the football guy tournaments, and the main events, it's basically your average of points during the regular season, and then it's like a four-week race. And I do think ideally that is fairer, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that underdog and before that draft started this elimination style, I don't think it's as fair, but I do think it's more exciting, and I don't think it's going to change. I also think there's strategies that you can use that give you an edge on the field. So that's why I'm also not against it, because I feel that there's an edge to be had, especially on the FFPC tournament, where 25% a week teams advance. So basically, once you're in the tournament, you have a 25% chance. So I feel like you don't have to turn every team's risk factor up to a 10 to try and, you know, win. I, I feel like, you know, you can just build really solid teams and have one of them get to the finals and then you have a one in 12 shot at a hundred grand. So I, I'm a fan of it the way it is. Okay. I guess you kind of like would wish it was more fair. I would rather reward full season you know, play more so. And I'm not as high volume a player as you are. So I'm sure that that affects preferences to some degree as well. I just, I don't, there's so much variance already built into the game. I don't like building more in, especially when we're chasing that big overall prize, but you know, I can certainly understand the excitement factor. And I agree with you. I doubt that it's going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I definitely get it. I, it just plays to my strengths more. To, to build teams that are really solid than trying to just really hype up each team. So that's why I like it more. All right, let's look at the Steelers. Najee Harris going as the fifth running back off the board. Deontay Johnson, 16th wide receiver. Juju's 46th. And of course, these ADPs for anybody who's not watching is are from underdog, which is been drafting the longest this offseason so far. Correct. And Claypool's 37th. Mm-hmm. So I had a discussion with someone about Claypool on Twitter. And, you know, I feel like where's our advantage? Our advantage is in in being smarter than our competition, right? And And being able to spot values. Most of what I do, and I explained this with um, Jared last night, is I try and identify floor. And once you've got a floor, then I look to see, and you can't, you don't have to do this with every pick. So basically I feel like one of the key things that I'm good at is finding people that everyone's down on more than they should be. For me this year, Debo was the perfect example that I I used last night, right? Everyone was, had Ayuk here because that's what the last thing they saw And Debo was here Mm -hmm. when really I felt like Debo was the more talented player. Three round discount, no brainer, right? And I feel like with Claypool, you know, the first thought is, well, Ben's retiring. That's bad. 
Well, it's bad for Deontay Johnson, and it might be bad for Najee Harris because Ben couldn't get the ball down the field. But a guy like Claypool, I don't know. And we got a question for from Kevin. Uh, any feelings on who the Steelers quarterback will be? I mean, the first thought that came to my mind was Kirk Cousins. But then I realized that he's probably not going to be traded based on his salary cap hit. So I don't know who the Steelers quarterback's going to be. Maybe it'll be Brian Fitzpatrick. But I do know that anyone is going to be an upgrade over Ben as far as arm strength, ability to get the ball down the field at this point. And I think that's Claypool's game. So I'm, I'm out of those guys. I'm most interested in Claypool still. And he played the fool too much this year. So again, people are down on him because of that. Your thoughts? I would say between them, just because of price and not knowing who the quarterback's going to be, I would take Claypool at wide receiver 37 over Deontay Johnson at wide receiver 16. I have no idea how the quarterback's going to get sorted out. I mean, if you had to bet money on it right now, the best line would be on Mason Rudolph. And I think we all hope that the Steelers aren't going to go in with him as the starter, but it's certainly possible. They clearly to this point, they believe in him more than the rest of us do. Otherwise he wouldn't still be a Steeler. So we have to consider that a possibility. I don't think that would be good for anybody, but yeah, but the, the prices between them, I would prefer chase Claypool. Honestly, I'm probably not particularly chasing either wide receiver right now. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, you know, Juju is the one that, uh, in a fifth round or fourth round. We're talking about Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today. There we go. Wide receiver 16th, beginning of the fourth round. I mean, he's fine there, but I don't feel that, you know, he's not a spike week guy. So right, right behind Mike Evans and in front of Ridley and McLaurin and DJ Moore and, and Godwin, I probably still have Deontay behind the, that next group myself. Wheeler doesn't want us to forget Pat Fryermuth and Fryermuth right now, you're not getting a discount. Tight end 10. So there's a lot of mouths to feed. I like the talent, but I don't like the ADP right now. Yeah, I mean, tight end just gets kind of ugly beyond that. And Noah Fant could slip and become a big value if he if he realizes the talent and if they commit a little bit more to him and a little bit less to Albert O going forward. But I guess that's the concern. So new coaching staff there. We'll see if they handle it differently. Yeah, exactly. That's a very fair point. Let's look at the stats real quick. So Najee had 307 carries and 94 targets. I mean, that is elite workload. I don't know. What were your notes on Najee? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't all that efficient, 35th in rushing DVOA, 40th in receiving DVOA, but it doesn't matter if you're going to finish second in the league in carries and tied for the running back lead in targets. You don't have to be all that good on the field as long as you're getting the ball, and I don't see why that's going to change. They were also middle of the league in situation neutral pass rate, so they clearly realized that leaning on Ben Roethlisberger was not the way to go, and I doubt that they're going to find a quarterback this offseason that they feel comfortable leaning on. So. We should expect a bunch more touches for Najee Harris. It's I don't have an argument against him being in the middle of round one. We'll see where things go. I guess the argument is maybe he gets hurt. That's the case with any running back in round one. Yeah, and I, I'll also say this. This is a good uh, offensive line draft, and they have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. So 
you know, could we see them bring in an offensive lineman in free agency and then one or two in the draft and upgrade the unit and that helps Najee? I mean, that is a path to him being more efficient. Yeah, and I mean, we saw last season he can be excellent in fantasy without even being all that efficient. Correct. All right, so we we don't dislike Najee. Let's look at the targets. So I guess the other thing is, you know, again, 169 targets for uh, Deontay. And look, I mean, look at uh, Claypool. 105 targets, but only 59 catches. Where's the catch rate? 56.2% catch rate. I mean, that, that that's very appealing to me, mm-hmm. right? You know, you look at 56.2, Juju 53.6. And, you know, look, I'm not convinced that Juju's going to be there. I mean, people act like he's going to be. He signed one of those contracts because he didn't find what he wanted in free agency. Mm-hmm. And he didn't put up the year he wanted. I think at this point, if I'm Juju, I want to go somewhere else. You know, uh, you, you talk about the quarterback. It, you're never going to get the with three other good targets and no quarterback. I mean, if I'm Juju, I'm, I'm like, please, somebody, anybody offer me anything to go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like he had similar money offered in Baltimore. And I guess there's an extra layer if you're a Steeler thinking about going to Baltimore, but he got some kind of interest from the Chiefs. There's, there's got to be somebody out there that'll pay close to what the Steelers would give him. So I, you never know an individual's motivation, but I would think, especially with the transition at quarterback, it would be an offseason for him to try something different. All right. Anything else on the Steelers you want to discuss? I mean, I think it's interesting that James Washington is also a free agent. I wasn't as big a fan as some others were heading into the league, but there's at least, you know, something different for him this offseason. Eric Ebron's a free agent. Um, so, you know, we'll see if he lands somewhere where he affects the value of the other tight end there. But there's there's going to be a good amount of change on that Steelers offense. It's going to be something to watch. To me, Deontay Johnson hasn't slid quite far enough to be um, you know, a draft target yet, but uh, I agree with you that Chase Claypool is starting out the draft season interesting. Yeah, and and in general, I I think that you're not getting the discount that you probably should, based on the fact that the Steelers have been a good offense for a long time, and that the people like the talent on that team. Um, I don't think you're getting the discount you should get, considering Mason Rudolph right now is the starting quarterback. Um, I guess go back to my point that how much worse than Ben could he be, but he's not good. And when you're, and when you're, you know, when you're drafting best ball, um, you're looking for upside, right? You want guys who have some kind of ceiling and it's really hard to see huge ceiling um, with Mason Rudolph as quarterback. Deontay Johnson is basically the same as Keenan Allen in terms of draft price right now. And if you just look at their games together right now, he profiles similarly, but Keenan Allen's got Justin Herbert. Deontay Johnson's got question mark. So, I mean, why would I draft Deontay Johnson in that kind of territory when I can take somebody else with more upside or a better version of Deontay Johnson and Keenan Allen? Yeah, and that's that's the kind of thing that I always like to talk about. Um, something I learned from Dave Hubbard, which is, you know, the only thing that really matters is how you compare. In other words, the, the only way a guy really hurts you is if he crushes all the guys who are around him. And that was kind of what you were just saying. 
you know, it's hard to see Deontay Johnson putting up numbers where he kills you if you don't take him. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the team's uh, salary cap that the Ravens is next. They only have uh, $10 million free, which is really not very much. Pittsburgh has $32 million free, you know, and a lot of that is because of Ben uh, Roethlisberger, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And then who was the first team? The Bengals have 56 million. So a l- lot of opportunity for the Bengals. Let's get into the Ravens. Obviously, the big thing was Lamar Jackson getting hurt and missing the last few weeks. That killed their season. Mm-hmm. Even before that, it was interesting that they changed things up on offense. I, I headed into the season thinking there was a chance that we got more passing and significantly more passing. And we did even before he got hurt, we had, they finished with the 12th highest situation, neutral pass rate. And, you know, it's not just because they were losing and Tyler Huntley was playing late. Uh, It's a big jump from third lowest in 2020 lowest in the league in 2019. They went from the most, they, they went from like historically run heavy to being on the pass leaning side of things. And that followed Marquise Brown, you know, breaking out Mark Andrews, obviously being Mark Andrews and them drafting Rashad Bateman. So they gave us some signals that they were going to throw the ball more. So I think we should expect them maybe not to the same level, but to continue throwing the ball more. Well, all right. I'm going to challenge that. You know, this is the anti-bias show, right? So my counterpoint to that is J.K. Dobbins got hurt Mm -hmm. and Gus Edwards got hurt. So they bring in a bunch of guys who, for the most part, the league had felt were were dead, right? Latavius Murray and uh, Devonta Freeman. Now Freeman didn't look terrible, but but the point is, you know, is it a chicken and the egg thing? It, it, did they did they run less because they didn't have the running backs, mm-hmm. or did they run less because they just see that as being the way to get to the next level? I would argue that the truth is probably somewhere in between where once you get J.K. Dobbins, and I wouldn't be surprised if they add another running back in the draft, you know, in the later round, someone who might have some juice. I would argue that them not having J.K. Dobbins definitely affected to some point what they felt the optimal way for them to attack was. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's a, I'm saying, I don't, I don't, I don't think we should expect them to pass to the degree that they did this year, but the previous two years, they were among the three most run heavy teams in the league. I don't think they're going to return to that. I think we see them settle in somewhere in between those two places. And, you know, I, I guess the question is how far back toward the run they go. I think I'll be interested to see what the market thinks will be the case because if they're close to expecting the Ravens of 2020, then I'll be above market on passing expectation for them. But I don't, I, I don't know yet what others are going to think. Mark Andrews on FFPC is going right near the end of the first round, all the way to the middle of the second round. Uh, um, you know, wh- the reason I like Mark Andrews so much was because he was a guy who had been going at the end of the second, beginning of the third, the year before, and then you could get him in the mid-fourth. I thought there was a lot of upside, uh, and I was correct. At this ADP, I'm more likely to take someone like Darren Waller 
than I am Mark Andrews. I feel like you. I don't like drafting players at their ceiling, especially if you can get a guy as talented. And I do think Darren Waller is as talented. So I'm not a big fan of Mark Andrews tight end too. How about you? I agree. I, I got Mark Andrews wrong this season. I said, I thought that this was a team that could pass significantly more. And even though I thought that, I kept myself from turning that into, well, Mark Andrews makes plenty of sense then for whatever reason. I don't even remember exactly why I thought so. I probably just didn't like him as much as, you know, TJ Hawkinson. And instead of mixing Mark Andrews in more to chase that possibility of more passing, I just put him aside and said I was doing something else. So I got him wrong. I don't want to compound that error by now chasing him now that he's way up the board and getting it wrong again. I agree with you. I would rather take, I mean, George Kittle is more than around behind Mark Andrews. I don't know that I'm going to like George Kittle, but I don't like Mark Andrews around plus ahead of him. We saw lots of targets for Mark Andrews this year, but his role didn't actually change all that much. He saw 25% target share this year. He saw 24.8 target percent target share last year. So it was the same role. They just threw the ball more. So if we don't think that they throw the ball quite as much in 2022, those targets are going to come down. He's has the potential to disappoint from that range. And as you pointed out, we have Darren Waller sliding down the board because of a disappointing year. We have TJ Hawkinson sliding down the board because he disappointed relative to expectations. So I, I don't see a reason to chase Mark Andrews that high when I can wait several rounds and get one of those guys. Marquise Brown last year was one of my highest owned players, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th, and toward the end, even the 12th and 13th round in drafts. Um, right now going off the board at wide receiver 32, right in the be- you know end of the sixth, beginning of the seventh. I don't have a problem with him there, but I, I don't feel the need to chase him there. What I do like about Brown is he does have that profile as a spike week guy. But I'm more likely to look for the the guy that let's you know let's look down a little bit. Well, we talked about Claypool. You know, could Claypool uh, be the next guy? Is could Kadarius Tony? Could he be that next guy who's got that kind of a big play profile? Your thoughts on Marquise Brown? I mean, at wide I like him at wide receiver 32, and I think he does still stand out among that group. I mean, he is still young, just finished his third season. So he's already got the kind of talent that Chase Claypool has, the thing that we're hoping that he's going to realize, and he already has the target share with his team. We'll see if Rashad Bateman infringes on that, but I'm still betting on Marquise Brown at the very least as a week-to-week upside guy, like you talked about from that you know mid-to-low wide receiver three range. Kevin uh, says Bateman going late wide receiver 41 could be a steal. I don't know. You know, I, I'm torn. Uh, I, I Obviously he has the talent, but they're still not going to be the most pass heavy team in the league. And now you're looking at Bateman at wide receiver 41. I don't, you know, again, like he's right next to Kadarius Tony, who I know is going to be on the field a lot more. I think this is okay for him, but I'm not going to, you know, it's one of those ones. This could be a blind spot of mine. You know, that really talented guy who coming off a, 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 a meh rookie year. But with Andrews and Marquise Brown there, 
it's kind of hard to see him uh, getting a, a target share. How many targets did he get? I know he missed some time, but in 12 games, he got 46, uh, 68 targets. I don't know. Uh, your thoughts? I agree with what you said. I think he's fine there. It's tough to have him stand out when he's one spot behind Allen Robinson. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on Allen Robinson, and I think that a wide receiver 40, I'm going to be overweight on Allen Robinson at that price because, to me, at the least, Allen Robinson will be a fine wide receiver four for my team or late wide receiver three. And if he proves that this past year was a, a bad combo of you know injuries, bad offense, shaky quarterback play, and he turns back into Allen Robinson – then I've got maybe a potential win rate victor from that spot. So that's the guy that really stands out to me and makes it tough for Rashad Bateman to shine too brightly. I wouldn't stack Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman, but I would be fine with either of those guys at their prices. I wouldn't fade either one. I would consider them in the mix in the range where they're going. And I like Kadarius Tony um, because, yeah, he's a little bit of a nut job. <laughs> but he and he he certainly looked like he he's get, could be injury prone, you know, and, and it's the kind of injuries I worry about. Those little ones, guys who are always nicked up are more concerning to me. But boy, I mean, he flashed really hard. And I know he's got the curse of Dave Gettleman hanging over his head. <laughs> but, you know, that's a guy who I think could really crush his ADP. I can already tell that Jared, though, is going to be flying the Kadarius Tony hot air balloon this year, and I'm going to have to be holding on to the rope, making sure that it doesn't get too high. So I'm already girding myself to be lower than the other guys on the Draft Shark staff on Kadarius Tony. My, my concern with him is Kenny Galladay is there. Uh, Sterling Shepard is there. We'll see if Sterling Shepard stays there. You know, it's just he's I, I also coming off a pretty serious injury now. Sure. And I, you know, it's not that I'm excited about those other guys, but is Kadarius Tony going to, I don't know, turn into their Deontay Johnson? I don't think so. I think, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's anybody that stands out as exciting there. And I'm not ready to plant the flag on any of those three guys being, you know, even the number one among their not number one options. Point counterpoint to that would be Dable is so much better of a play caller and in using his talent than Jason Garrett and Joe Judge were. And he could manufacture touches for Kadarius Tony. You know, I mean, could he be used like a Debo Samuel? I, I would argue no, because, you know, Debo is like, I compared him to a tractor during the game on Sunday, where he's just, for a guy his size, he just, he's just got so much strength. But I do think you could manufacture touches for Kadarius Tony, I like his upside there because I do think he's a spike week guy, but I also get the hesitation on your part. So put me in between you and Jared somewhere mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be totally off him. He's probably going to be somebody that I just watch through the offseason and see where things are going, both with the draft market and with what the Giants say about him. But he's not starting off as a specific target player for me in that yeah, I mean, you know, end of the eighth, beginning of the ninth round, I don't have a problem with him, mm -hmm. right? I think <clears throat> I think there's upside there. Mm -hmm. I also think there's downside, though, right? right? So I don't, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, having a floor and a ceiling. I think he's more ceiling than floor mm -hmm. at that ADP. 
I'll say I'm um, not more excited about Tyler Boyd or Cortland Sutton, who are right behind Kadarius Tony, than I am about Tony. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm not interested in Boyd. I mean Sutton, if Aaron Rodgers goes there, second year off ADP, uh, off his injury, yeah, I, I would be interested. But the next couple guys, Kirk Juju, Jacoby Myers, Michael Gallup coming off injury, Van Jefferson, Rondell Moore, nobody in that group. That's kind of a that's the kind of group that makes you want to see what else is available in that range and see who's there. Because this is a good discussion. All right, so you've got Gronk, Gusecki, and Noah Fant. You know, I'd rather wait on tight end on a format like this and pick either Gusecki or Fant than I would want to get, you know, one of those wide receivers. Yeah, I, don't I, I can see that. And we're also going to have rookies mixing into this range pretty soon. So, you know, the, the landscape in that area is going to change. That's true. I, I, on this ADP, we're not getting rookies. Right. J.K. Dobbins, I think we need to discuss him coming off a major injury. Where is his ADP? 31. Yeah. So, I mean, that's right around where he was toward the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Ahead of Aaron Jones, I, I don't, eh, you know, I won't, right. I won't fade him, but he's not a target for me. Yeah, yeah, same for me, and for just the reason you said, right ahead of Aaron Jones, I can't, I, I don't dislike him, but I can't get excited about him. And we're gonna have to watch and see about the ACL. I don't think people are all that scared of ACLs at this point, and we probably shouldn't be, but we do have to watch them. And Saquon Barkley reminded us of that. Yeah, and you know, uh, I can get DeAndre Hopkins in that range. I can get Keenan Allen in that range. I can get DK Metcalf or CD Lamb in that range. You can uh, get Gus I, Edwards at RB forty. He's going to be back as well, and same injury. Uh, never mind. I don't <laughs> want to discuss Gus Edwards. Um, all right, let's go over to the Browns. But while we're doing that, let's look at free agency. Right, I don't think there's it. anything too big from Baltimore anyway. I think Sammy Watkins is the biggest name that's hitting free agency for them. I was very proud of myself. I was going through my 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 teams out of 70 or 60 or 70 teams in the FFPC that I drafted by myself because that's what I'm studying first. I had one Sammy Watkins team and it advanced. <laughs> there you go. See, I liked Sammy Watkins where he was going last year because there was no risk and you know, there was a chance that he was right in that target mix with the other guys. Yeah, I didn't see the upside. I just don't see it anymore in him. Mm-hmm. All right, Higgins is a free agent for Cleveland. To Ernest Johnson could go somewhere and get some action. He is restricted, though, so if they decide they want him back, he, he doesn't have a whole lot to do about it. Okay, and let's get to the Browns. I mean, yeah, I guess we got to start with Baker. I mean, you're going to get a huge value on Baker Mayfield this year. I don't see them not having Baker Mayfield there, do you? No, not at all. And right now he's going as quarterback 25. I I, I would be pretty happy to have him as my second quarterback. I mean, the, he was really hurt last year. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing is he's not going to be exciting either. Right. Let's look at the targets on that team. I mean, nobody hit 100 targets on that team. Yeah, it's tough to even tell what you can tell from them because their target leader was a guy who played at 12 games, I think it was, for Jarvis Landry. So it, it's got to be different. I mean, they, they have to do something more passing. I also think they have to be in the market 
for a wideout this year. Cause I don't think heading into the year with Donovan Peoples Jones as your number two and Jarvis Landry as your number one is a good way to run an offense. Yeah. I would th- now this is a perfect landing spot for Juju. I would like to see them get somebody that's more dissimilar from Jarvis Landry. Uh, that's fair. I mean, I, I, yeah, but those guys are harder to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, let's look DJ overall. Be a, a nice chance to take, I think for them. Okay. I could go for that. Although he's um, coming off an injury too, so we'll see about him and his foot. All right. So uh, Nick Chubb is running back 11 uh, in this format. And that's, you know, that's still a little early for me. I mean, I and nobody liked Nick Chubb more than I did. But uh, when you look at the draft that I did on the FFPC, Nick Chubb went <laughs> went in the third round. And he, um, he was a... Uh, auto pick. But uh, I was surprised that Hunt made it to pick 9-3. I was planning on taking him at 9-4 if he made it, and he didn't. We saw Kareem Hunt have a pretty good win rate uh, the year before in the sixth round. That's where he went again for the most part last year. And if he's going to go three rounds later, I'm going to have interest in Kareem Hunt. Yeah, round nine, it's a why not spot. I mean, he's in Tony Pollard, Alex Madison range, and he's going to get more work than those guys. Well, I guess we'll see about Tony Pollard, but at least similar to Pollard and more than Madison if Chubb stays healthy. And we've seen the upside. The big difference between last year and the year before, this past year and the year before for Kareem Hunt, is his injury coincided with the time that Chubb missed, so he didn't get time to be the lead back for any games. Otherwise, I think his role was pretty similar and Hunt actually caught a few more passes per game this season than he did in 2020. All right. So on underdog, he's going as running back 30. So definitely not as late in general. And boy, if I can get Miles Sanders or Cream Hunt, I'm taking Miles Sanders. Yes, definitely. There is some good running back values early in underdog drafts right now. I wouldn't push it too long if you do you're just gonna have to take guys you don't like and hope that they land in good spots but if you draft in those drafts there are some some nice values i think among the first four or five rounds yeah and then you look where hunt's going Eh, i kind of like ayuk i kind of like beckham i kind of i like mooney so i'm more likely to take darnell mooney than i am kareem hunt Mm -hmm. all right I wouldn't get too caught up in drafting a ton of DPJ. I do like him as a player. I wouldn't get caught too caught up, or if I was drafting early on Jarvis Landry, mm-hmm. uh, at, at, you know, now at at age twenty nine, you know, I just don't see a lot of upside with the guys on this roster right now. Yeah, I, I'm never scared of missing out on big stuff from Jarvis Landry. Even a, you know, wide receiver fifty three on underdog where they're half PPR, yeah, he's fine. I'm not going to tell you not to take him, but Right behind him are Kenny Galladay and Will Fuller, for example. I mean, who among those three has more spike week potential? Yeah, I I, I like Kenny Galladay. Um, you know, um, I, I, I in this draft that I was telling you about, I took Tony at the uh, toward the end of the eighth round, and I took Galladay in the twelfth round. Mm-hmm. So I I think the Giants. You know, they seem intent on fixing the offensive line. I do think Daniel Jones is better, you know, than he got credit for the last two years. 
because he's a guy who need you know, if A, Jason Garrett held him back, B, Joe Judge held him back, and that offensive line was awful. So I don't know that we're going to see the spark out of Daniel Jones that we did as when he first got in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely in his range of outcomes. And if he does it, it's likely they don't have a lot of money. I, I don't see them really adding a, a wide receiver in the draft this year early. So I, I think Galladay and Tony are both values right now. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not I'm not opposed to Tony where he's going. I do prefer Galladay between them, but I, I think there's... Well, yeah, three rounds later. That I mean, if yeah. you're only going to pick one, Mm-hmm. You know, Galladay, you know, but I don't mind stacking, even if I don't end up getting Daniel Jones as my second quarterback mm-hmm. in a tournament team. One thing I am going to be doing a lot more of one, you know, I, I, I might have talked to, to this about it with you, but especially for the FFPC, 11 of the 12 teams that made it to the finals had Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. I was one of only two teams that also had Marquise Brown without Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson, right? It didn't work out. But if you're trying to plan on what could win you a tournament, stacking a talented player with someone else from the same team, you know, let's say even, let's say Tony is the guy, right? Mm -hmm. And he, he becomes like that guy who gives you third round value out of the ninth round. And he's just awesome. And he gets you to the finals. Well, if there's seven or eight teams with him, you ain't winning with him. But if you've got Galladay and him, and you just run into a week where Galladay's the guy who gets 30 points, not, now you've got, you know, that kind of DFS leverage that you look for, you know, when so-and-so wide receiver is going to be 35% owned. Well, who else on that team, you know, if he fails – the question you should always answer is ask yourself in DFS is if this high ownership guy is going to fail, who's likely to be the beneficiary of that? Mm-hmm. Right. So I do like stacking even without a quarterback for these tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. And I like doing that with the in the range where those guys are going as well. Going back to the Browns, Kev Wheeler says Anthony Schwartz as a last round dart throw. We'll see. I I want to see what they do. They took him a lot earlier than I think any of us were expecting. Round three of the draft last year. I don't I don't know. There's basically nobody in Cleveland that I'm that I'm ready to bet on right now. But I certainly can't argue with a late round Anthony Schwartz share. Well, and this is what I I like, I, and I love when Wheeler shows up because he he's a, he's a very smart fantasy player, and and the whole idea behind study hall is we're all studying together even though Matt and I are the guys on camera right now. I don't think Daniel Jones makes it through the season. Do you want to explain that a little more, Wheels? If you throw up another comment, I'll I'll throw it up as to why you think that. But, um, you know, again, fixing the offensive line is one way for him to make it through the season. I don't think there's anything else. I think the only other thing with the Browns that I want to see is where David Njoku goes in free agency because he's young enough where it wouldn't be completely out of nowhere if he lands in a place gets opportunity and delivers and he was an exciting athlete and he's shown us enough flashes over the past couple of years that i know he still exists so i want to see where he signs i want to see what he signs for and i'll just be lighting a candle down at the church that i don't go to on the corner that it's not with the patriots you bet you're catholic <laughs> no i'm not okay. that's why i'm just gonna light a candle for this purpose He's not consistent. He fumbles way too much. 
But for fantasy, as a second or even third quarterback, doesn't matter to me, right? You know what, Matt? You know, I mean, until uh, fantasy sites start, you know, making it minus two per fumble, you know, uh, and and Daniel Jones um, cut his interceptions down significantly this last year. So I I agree with you. He's always going to be a fumbling machine. But I just, you know, again, I like buying distressed assets. I I just do. And if I can tell myself a story that there's the talent there to be successful, I would say at this point, I'm a lot more comfortable taking Daniel Jones than I am Baker Mayfield. And I think they're probably going to be right around the same range. Yeah, Daniel Jones was right behind him in that underdog ADP. And he gives us, he's shown the rushing. So I agree, if we're playing flip this quarterback, I I like Daniel Jones down where he's going. Yeah, right next to each other. 25-26, pick 180. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking round, you know, you're talking last round, basically. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, if you want to take your second quarterback at the end of the, the draft, and I'm always looking for uh, those secondary stacks that you can build late, you know, where you can get like a Tony in the ninth round and a Gawadi in the 12th round. And then, wow, if you really want to complete the stack, you reach for Daniel Jones in the 16th round. Now you've got a nice secondary stack. Uh, my big one this last year on Underdog was the Raiders because you could pretty much get anyone you wanted with Derek Carr other than Waller late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if only um, a little bit more Hunter Renfro. I actually had a good bit of Renfro on underdog um, in the tournaments. Uh, it just didn't work out for me. Wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if Dable brings Trubinsky over. Is he a free agent, Trubinsky? I think he signed a one-year deal with Buffalo. All right. I wouldn't be surprised if someone gives Trubinsky a chance to start. I mean, if – all right, there you, you want a name for Pittsburgh? There's a name, right? Like – Bring in Trubisky and let him and Mason Rudolph compete. I don't think he's too exciting, but uh, he certainly has the draft capital. And I will say that if you're if your issue with Daniel Jones is the turnovers, then Mitchell Trubisky is probably not the guy you want to turn to. That's a good comeback, Kevin. <laughs> I think he got you. All right, that's gonna that's gonna do it, folks. Um, we will continue with the uh, NFC and AFC South the next time we get together. I am continuing to work on my win rate uh, that I talked a lot about yesterday. And I, uh, thanks to Hayden Winks, I now have underdogs uh, advancement rate and ADP. So once I finish with the FFPC, I'm going to be doing the same thing for underdog. Lots of exciting stuff to continue and to come with. And um, that's going to do it for now, guys. Have a good day. I'll be there when you get the beauty of living my life Hold on, baby, I'm taking you